0: We're going to get going with this this morning. If you have your Bibles with you, feel free to stick a finger in Luke chapter 9, verse 46, Luke 18, verse 15, Revelation 21, 1-4. So, Lord, we come before you this morning. Thank you again for your goodness. We pray. Um, we just thank you, Lord. Thank you that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We got to do that already this morning. Uh, To the best of our ability, uh, which we come up short, and you'll meet us with your grace, we've submitted ourselves to you. Lord, now we turn to your word and say, have your way with us and in us, in this place where you've set us. In Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said, "Amen." amen. How you doing, Vaughn? Doing good? Good to see you, buddy. Um, I've entitled this message, it's it's a, a new series that we're in, God in the City, and the message entitled today is The God Who Plays. Last week we talked about the globe in motion, we talked about how the Lord imagines cities and is using cities as a catch basin for the nations that the world is coming to cities uh, at rates that are unprecedented. Nations are coming together at rates that are unprecedented and the hope of taking the gospel to the whole world doesn't mean that you have to get on an airplane and cross an ocean anymore. It simply means that we have to cross the street and say hello to our neighbor. And that message is online if you want to check that out at southeverett.org backslash podcast. It's an important one to check out. We're going to build on On that. But timely, what's been going on in the news? uh, There's been much conversation over the past few weeks about cities that are dying. Anyone heard anything about cities that are dying on the news, uh, in the social media? It's kind of taken our region by storm over the last 12 days. Cities that look more like war zones than the thriving amplifiers of the gospel that God created our cities to be. Uh, and this morning, I, I want to affirm that, yes, there are challenges in our cities that need to be addressed. I don't want to stand up here and say, nothing's wrong in our cities. Jesus is on his throne, so we can just you know, take the gravy train back to wherever we came from. Might No, there are challenges that our cities are facing, and it's important that we engage in it. And beyond that, I want to offer that there's no hope for our cities whatsoever without the engagement of the body of Christ. There is no hope for the cities long term without the engagement of the body of Christ. Cities were, in fact, imagined by God And I believe that God delights in cities. In fact, there are 1,250 references to cities in the Bible. 1,250 times does the Lord talk about cities. The city is a place that God has prepared us for and he is preparing us for. We'll get to that in a minute. But a key question for us this morning to think about, why is it important that the local church have a good relationship with the city? Why is that such a big deal? It is a big deal, in fact, because God has designed cities to be amplifiers of the gospel. That the message goes into a city and it gets spun around in a city and it gets kicked out of a city to all sorts of places because cities are hubs of influence. Although they take up geographically much less space on the entire planet, I haven't done the research, but you could probably take the 20 biggest cities in the entire world and fit them in western Washington, square footage-wise, because cities are condensed. We have big open spaces. We know that, in fact, there are more people in the state of Rhode Island, which is about the size of King County, than there are in the entire state of Alaska. Right? So cities, although they don't take up much of the world, they influence, geographically, they influence most of everything that happens in the world. And they're amplifiers of the gospel. We talked last week about two terms. One is urbanization. That simply is how a city measures its size, its density, and its diversity. And secondly, there's a term, though, that is urbanism. And that's the function of a city that produces its values, its products, and its lifestyles. And if that's the case, that cities have such great influence, what happens if the body of Christ leaves the city? We're stepping away from the greatest amplifying tool that God has given us to reach the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. How will the body of Christ contribute to the city's values? How will it contribute to the lifestyles in the cities if it isn't actively there? God designed cities, but he also designed the believer, the follower of Jesus, who is spirit filled to be present there also. Because if it's not, if he's not, if she's not, if they aren't present in the city, then the system, the design that God put together doesn't work like it's supposed to. The Great Commission said that we were the plan, God's plan for taking the message to the nations. And there's no plan B. For Casino Road, besides South Everett Foursquare Church, besides South Everett Community Church, besides Bible Baptist Church, besides City Life, besides Casino Road Kids Ministries, besides Hand in Hand. We are collectively God's plan for here. We ain't going to do it. No one's going to do it. So that's what we get to do. Ray Bakke, who's an author that we're leaning heavily into for this series, would suggest that we can't love a city without knowing it, which is the hard part because we've got to go there before we know it, and we've got to be there before we love it, which is no fun sometimes being in a place that we don't know and we don't love, but God has called us to. But the more time we spend, again, relationship, we long to have relationship with one another, and that just takes time. We're called to be in places. Jeff Vanderselt is the pastor of Doxa Church in Bellevue, and he talks about cities. He says when you go into cities, when you go into anywhere, in new culture, you have to pay attention to people and places. It's a broad scope. People, places. you got to pay attention. Then the next level down is names and faces. So you got a certain people in a certain place, but then you see you see faces, and they have names attached to them. People, places, names, and faces. Rhythms of life. That means you know the name of your barista on the corner and you know what's going on with her because her grandpa just died. That's a rhythm of life with a people in place, a name and a face, and a rhythm. We're called to enter into those levels and when we do, the gospel gets amplified because we live it with our life. And because the city is so condensed, to share and be close to people is not difficult. You go into most cities, this is why some people don 't like cities. This is hard to get away from people right? But cities have mattered to the Lord for a long time. John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, which is kind of funny that that shows up in the gospel that he wrote, uh, but John, the disciple who Jesus loved, was exiled towards the end of his life after he wrote his gospel after Jesus died and was buried and risen and ascended. And the Spirit fell on the believers. The word went out. John was one who pounded the streets, the pavement was involved with planning churches and spreading the gospel. And that, that came with some opposition. And for him, it meant he got exiled on an island called Patmos. There's a, Zach, if you can put it up, there's a, um, a picture of patmos this is the island it's 17 square miles i don't think it was as luxurious now as it was back then when john was exiled on it but this is a real island in a real place in the mediterranean sea not too far off the coast of ephesus one of the major major ports in all of the eastern world. And here's the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, we see kind of where, here's Patmos right here. And John was sent there and he had a revelation that he was to write. The Lord said, I want to tell you some stuff. And I want to tell those who are coming after you about the way that things are going to go down concerning the return of Christ one day. And so John wrote this letter of revelation, the last letter in our scriptures he wrote this letter of Revelation to seven, you can put the map back up there, Zach, if you want, um, thank you, to these seven churches that are scattered all around that area. And he wrote to them, this is in the first few chapters of Revelation, he writes to these seven churches in the order in which a courier would carry the letter from one congregation to the next. That's the order that he wrote in, and that's the order that these letters were written to these churches But he wrote to these churches all around the Roman province of Asia, which is modern-day Turkey, in order that people would know the heart of Christ for the church. Some have asked, were these writings just meant for the original audience? Some have said yes, but there are other things within these passages that would suggest that not only were they originally for the churches, but they were also for the entire body of Christ, including us today. And you say, well, how would you know that? It's, it's apparent in each letter that John addresses each church by saying, whoever has ears, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And there were more churches than this in Asia Minor. It just so happens that he wrote to seven churches. Seven is the number of wholeness, completion, restoration. All throughout the Bible, there was a sense of, I write to seven churches But we widely understand that these teachings were then distributed to other congregations, other movements of the body of Christ as well. That's just a little information, a little context of the book of Revelation, because we're going to read a passage about cities right out of the end of this book. And although much of the book of Revelation, I don't know if you've ever tried to sit down and just do a quick Bible study through this book. Much of it is shrouded uh, with apocalyptic vision. It's kind of crazy. There's all sorts of interpretation about what it means, but I'll suggest that the final chapters are quite clear concerning what the Lord is doing in regards to leading his people towards cities. In John 21, verses 1 through 4, this is the vision that John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, this was the vision that the Lord gave him. While he was exiled on the island of Patmos for living out his faith, it wasn't comfortable. John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there were no longer any seas. I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and He will dwell with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. What a triumphant promise for a nation of people that had struggled with faithfulness for thousands of years. Thousands of years they'd struggled with faithfulness. And then Jesus came. And then they still struggled with faithfulness a little bit, even after Jesus came. But this vision, they will be his people and God himself will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no mourning or crying or pain for the the old order of things has passed away. A new city, a new Jerusalem, a place where the God who created us will ultimately always dwell with us. There will be no more pain, no more tears, no more mourning, no more of the things that we have to deal with on a daily basis as followers of Jesus. It will all be wiped out and we will be placed in a new city. But cities are the plan. It's where God dwells with people. The nations are moving to cities. The nations are here. But the world just says, well, the cities are dying, so get out of them quickly. Get away from the city. And our main point today is that the eyes through which we view our cities will impact the way we choose to interact with those cities. How do we view our cities? The way we choose to interact with our cities will impact the trajectory of our cities. There's a a plan that the Lord is waiting for us to engage Zach, do we have that video this morning? We're going to show that in just a minute. But right in the middle of our two urban plunges, funny enough, we had a team of women. You're going to hear from them in a few minutes. March 6th to the 10th, went and spent a week and lived in Rainier Valley, connecting with people who are trying to recover from addiction in the city. Two weeks later, we sent a men's team to Pioneer Square that did the same and came back last Sunday morning right in between those two urban plunges. A documentary was released by Eric Johnson with Como News. I would suggest that in large part it was a fair documentary of the condition of our city, of Seattle, the greater region in the Puget Sound area right now. Some of the challenges that our area is dealing with. But right in the middle of these urban plunges, the story was released painting a true picture of the epidemic that is facing us right now. And although I believe that this documentary is true, I would suggest that it's only part of the story. Because if there's not hope in the city, then there's not hope in the gospel. And I just verifiably just believe that to be untrue because the gospel is the hope for all mankind. So what I want you to see is the first minute and 40 of this documentary, if you haven't seen it already. And then we'll watch the rest at the end. Let me ask
1: you something. What if Seattle is dying and we don't even know it? This story is about a seething, simmering anger that is now boiling over into outrage. It is about people who have felt compassion, yes, but who no longer feel safe, no longer feel like they are heard, no longer feel protected. It is about lost souls who wander our streets, untethered to home or family or reality, chasing a drug which in turn chases them. It is about the damage they inflict on themselves to be sure, but also on the fabric of this place where we live. This story is about a beautiful jewel that has been violated and a crisis of faith amongst a generation of Seattleites falling out of love with their home. There is another part of this story, too. It's about a solution, an idea, for a city that has run out of them. And I ask again, what if Seattle is dying and we don't even know it?
0: So that and a bunch more is what hit a whole group of citizens in our city, some with the hope of the gospel and then some not so much with that hope, but it raises tension in our community. I'm glad that we live in a city that has a greater narrative than what we're just experiencing here. If this watching this puts you in a weird spot, uh, that's why we have the hope of the gospel. Let's not allow what we're seeing here to be the full narrative of what's taking place any more than we want to believe that this place where God has set us on Casino Road is just a neighborhood with lots of crime in it. That's part of the story, right? But there is a hopeful part of this story. We can't stop here, unfortunately, and it's important that we watch it and we feel it Because when we watch stuff like this, it makes us want to stop. It makes us want to not engage. And the hope in showing this is to say we have to be able to see things like this and figure out ways to keep engaging in the situation. And I'm just thankful that we're part of a congregation that wants to be telling a better story and is actually a part of telling a better story here. There's this, there's this wonderful book, and I'm going to suggest this book. I haven't actually read it yet, but I've heard the author speak. And I know the content, and I ordered the book on Amazon. It should be at my house tomorrow. But it's a book by David Hillis called Cities, Playgrounds or Battlegrounds. When asked about this book, John Perkins, who was local, both David Hillis and John Perkins are local to this region, the founder of the Christian Community Development Association, John Perkins said this about cities. He said, Cities are a gift from God who is actively working through the people to connect the resources of faith, civic renewal, and incarnational work in the neighborhoods, connecting those things together in order to see cities socially and spiritually renewed. That's what cities are for. They're to bring all these things together we need believers who will actively engage in the systems of cities, even with people that aren't Christians. I think I know I have had to come out of a place over the development of my faith over the last 20 years that says it's okay to do more stuff with people that don't believe in Jesus, because there's a whole lot that we agree on. Now, there's going to be some stuff that we don't agree on, and that's just out there. But everybody, regardless of creed or color or background, looks at this and says that is not okay. And if we try to do it apart from each other and scream at each other from across the aisles, nothing's going to get done. There's places where we can come together and engage. In his own word, David, who wrote this book, Cities, Playgrounds, or Battlegrounds, says we have a choice. We can view our cities as God's playgrounds where God's redemptive spirit is already at work, where we are invited to join in and share our gifts, or we can view cities as battlegrounds where divisions create rivalries and there is discord. The former is the is the perspective required to bring us and our cities closer to God's peace. That is a place in which we see God as our friend, neighbors as co-laborers, resources as abundant and mercy and grace available to us all. Wow! I mean, that's just some incredible hope. And so the question we need to pose to ourselves this morning every time we see something like this is how will I choose to view my city? Because if the enemy can think that he's won and it's time for us to disengage, we've lost. But we haven't lost because Jesus died on the cross. The power that raised Christ from the dead is the power that's available in us says the word of god that same power that rose christ from the dead can raise cities from the dead right randy come on randy knows we've served together downtown we've been a part of this we've seen our lives restored by the power of the gospel and he's not done till every person has the opportunity to call on his name so if our city is a battleground let's just say let's just propose for a minute that it is then we ought not to go into the city. We ought not go into the city. So Eric's going to walk with Jedediah for a few minutes, right? It's how we engage the challenges in our city. I'm glad that Jedediah is learning to become a part of our congregation. I'm glad that on a better day, Jedediah and I took a walk to the Starbucks and he told me about his family and the love that he has for the church. And then some days are just harder than others when we're dealing with the ravages of mental illness, right? Praise the Lord that Jedidiah is a part of this community. He will have good days and bad days, right? But so am I. So will I. And I'm glad that Eric is here. And I'm glad that Eric wants to walk with Jedidiah, and we all do, right? Teachable moments, what's going on in the midst. This is what happens when we engage cities. It makes us uncomfortable because we're not sure what to do when people... Say things we shouldn't say in church, right? You know, like this is just the world we live in. It's the community where God has placed us. And we get to uh, learn how to engage, right? We get to learn how to do these things. So if a city is a battleground, we should fear it. And we should run for our safety if it's a battleground. If the city's a battleground, we shouldn't be sharing information with each other. We shouldn't be sharing our ideas with each other. We shouldn't be sharing our resources with each other because they're limited and our lives depend on them. And we're not going to have a way to overcome the enemy in the city, the people that believe differently than we do, if we share with them, right? What if we started sharing? What What if the resources weren't limited? What if we... We're working all the time to just defeat people with different ideological views. That's what happens when the city's a war zone, when it's a battleground, says David Hillis. But if the city's a playground, then there's laughter and there's imagination in the city. There's the sharing of resource. I found that to be true. People with the least amount of stuff have been most generous to me in the city. Overwhelms me. There's collaboration where we do agree and even when we have significant disagreements, there there is joy. And yes, there are bullets flying in the cities. Like We have to be careful when we go into contexts that are just a little bit less physically safe than others. But we still get to go to those places. But beyond the bullets, there's a God who plays. I want to show you a picture real quick that we took when we were in Occidental Square last week in Occidental Park. Play. That's in the heart now of one of the most undesired set of bricks in the whole city. That is Occidental Park that years ago was ravaged by opiate addictions, crack addictions, alcohol addictions. But something is changing about Occidental Park. They've put up ping pong tables. They've put up cornhole games. They've put up giant connect four boards so you can just put and they put chairs in and they bring bands in and they put a big giant signs that say play play what's cool is that the park is changing and it it isn't driving out those who can't afford to play right some things happen in cities and it drives people out because it gets too expensive but this park is free for everybody everyone can come and play in the park and play is changing the neighborhood systematically one ping pong table at a time that sense of play that sense of laughter that sense of imagination reminds us of the days when parks were to be played in and i would suggest that we serve a god who wants to play he just wants to play we sat at that table with 30 guys all of us in varying stages of our own recovery processes last Saturday and talked about just putting our sad stuff down for a while and going and playing. We jumped on a ferry boat and we went over to Bainbridge Island and 30 of us walking down the streets, clogging up the line of a local ice cream parlor and all eating ice cream in the sun together. With some men that were as busted up and torn down as the men that we're seeing in this video three months ago. Same dudes. God can redeem what's happening just by being in relationship. That's what he does. And Jesus had He had this desire to make sure that, that people understood that to come into a relationship with him, to come into his kingdom, to come into the kingdom of heaven, would demand a childlike, playful faith. That's what it would demand. That we have to play like kids. We have to just be able to have fun, to enjoy, to be together. And Jesus had lots of conversations with his disciples, many discussions about this new kingdom that would be coming, this new city, and it left them to wonder about where they might find themselves in this paradigm, this new pecking order, this new organizational chart. And so the disciples started pretending like being a part of Jesus' kingdom was a war zone where there was limited space to be involved and that you could only... Make it if you push the other guy out like survivor. You set up some sort of like backhanded scheme to get the other guy out. And so the disciples were arguing in this way. The disciples were um, ignoring the things that Jesus was hoping that they would see. That this was a kingdom that could be played in. Have you ever noticed that kids are chomping at the bit to engage strangers in relationships? Children, if we have a childlike heart, we will engage people in relationship. We'll be chomping at the bit to get with those who we don't know yet. And the gospel speaks to this in Luke 9:44. It says, while everyone was marveling at all that Jesus did, he said to his disciples, listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. But they didn't understand what this meant. It was hidden from them, so they didn't grasp it, and they were afraid to ask him about it. What happens when we get fearful about things we don't understand, like cities? We start to grapple with each other. We start to... Pick at one another and this is exactly what the disciples did it says in 46 an argument started amongst the disciples about which of them would be the greatest and when we get fearful we we go to us we go to me we go to self jesus knew their thoughts and he took a little child that had been standing beside them then he said whoever comes to me Whoever welcomes this child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For it is the one who is least among you who will be the greatest. A child he took. He turned his community into a classroom. He didn't always do that. Sometimes when the disciples got in arguments, he rebuked them. Sometimes when the disciples got into arguments, he ignored them. And this time, he just turned the city into the classroom. He said, look at this child. Look at how childish you're being and look at this child. Whoever receives this child in my name receives me. Whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. For the one who is least among you, this is the one who is the greatest. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus spends some time talking to His disciples about prayer. He shares the the, the parable of a, a widow who relentlessly sought the help of an unrighteous judge. He shares this parable. This woman, she just wanted justice from an unrighteous judge. And through this parable, Jesus was teaching His followers to pray with persistence. He shared a second parable of a godless Pharisee and a repentant tax collector. This Pharisee that said, Lord, I thank you that you haven't made me like that guy. And then the tax collector says, Oh, Lord, I'm, I'm only a sinner. In this parable, Jesus is teaching how his followers to pray with humility. So pray with persistence. Pray with humility. He uses two parables to get to this point. And then in Luke 18, just unlike Luke 9, Jesus turns to a child again. Luke 18:15 through 17. Right after these two prayers. Right after these two parables about persistence and humility. It says, people were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to lay their hands on. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked him. But Jesus called the children and said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of heaven like a little child will not enter that kingdom. And it was a Hebrew custom at the time, dating all the way back to Jacob, who was called Israel in the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis, and his son Joseph, those guys, it dates all the way back to then, that, it, that Hebrews would place the hands on the heads of their children, and they would bless them. This happened in the Old Testament, And it happened in the New Testament in this verb in the Greek in Luke 18 that says the children, people were bringing their children indicates that this wasn't just one or two or three kids. This was lots of kids and lots of people were bringing children to the rabbi to bless them because it was a part of their tradition. But like anybody could do that. You wouldn't want to bother the rabbi with something like that. This is such a menial task in Hebrew culture, it's a little ironic because they've gotten to a place where children were unimportant. But everything about the tradition of the Hebrew culture says that legacy generations are the greatest blessing going back to Abraham. Look in the sky. See the stars. Great will your descendants be. Your legacy is in the lives of your children and their children and their children and their children. But somehow they have got caught up in the self-righteous place where kids and legacy were no longer important. So don't bother, the disciples say, don't bother the important rabbi with this menial task of blessing children. Because everything had become so serious. The city had become a battleground, a place where competition took place and trials were, and people got cut, and there wasn't enough resource. And Jesus said, settle down for a minute. Let the children come to me. Let's flip this kingdom mentality on its head and decide that the city can be a playground. Let's decide that imagination belongs here, that laughter and joy and abundance belongs in the city, and the same struggles that this generation dealt with 2,000 years ago are coming out in news reports on television in 2019, saying the city's a battleground. Yes, it is. But it's also a playground. And we get to be the ones to decide which is which. We have to be aware of how to respond to situations like this. We get to be the people who respond to situations like this. We get to work with local governments, even when we disagree with them. If you haven't seen this full video yet, there are interviews with one of the uh, one of the guys that's, that's actually been tasked as the czar of homelessness in Seattle, Scott Lindsay. he worked with Mayor Ed Murray, and his job was to figure out homelessness in the city. Well, there's a lot that Scott Lindsay and some of my friends at the mission disagreed on ideologically, but they both agreed that homelessness was a problem. And so my friend Brian Chandler, who some of the guys and gals met while we were down in Seattle, he's the director of outreach for the mission, and he goes out onto the streets daily and engages the city as a playground. And he helps people come back to life. And he engages with the city to such an extent that every Wednesday morning, Brian is invited to one of the most important meetings in the city of Seattle to engage this challenge of homelessness every Wednesday morning. And Scott Lindsay, who you'll see when he watch this video, it's on YouTube, is a friend of Brian Chandler. They're friends because they're both seeking the peace and the prosperity of the city. Brian says we have to learn how to see this city differently. We have to see it through the eyes of children. Although somewhat helpless children are, um, they're full of faith and love for all people. Children are, right? Full of faith, full of love for all people, and children love to play. So what if cities were playgrounds? I'm going to show you the end of this video, Zach, if we have that queued up. And then we're going to invite a couple people up here to share about their experiences in the city. So check this out.
2: My life's great, man. I and can't, I can't thank everybody enough, man, because if it was for this MAT program, Michael wouldn't be here today. Um,
1: I'm proud of myself, proud of my family, and I'm proud of everything I've done. And that means so much and, to all of us, and, and um,
3: me and the people
2: who mm-hmm.
1: work
3: in the program. Mm-hmm to do this work because you're the reason we do it.
1: What they've done in Rhode Island and in other places can be boiled down to two simple concepts, enforcement and intervention. Seattle and King County have retreated away from those things. We've left sick, tortured souls to wander the streets, to rot in filth and die before us. We've turned over our city to those who would steal from us and addict our children. We've turned away from simple concepts that bind together society and keep it safe. Things like enforcement and intervention. A city is a living thing. It has a rhythm and a heartbeat, a kind of soul. It is a collection of ideas that we protect and defend, old ideas and new ones. And over time the ideas blend into a collective, living, ever-changing dream. And the dream is nothing more and nothing less than a better life for our children. But behind the beauty and the ideals, behind the bridges and the ballparks and the beautiful buildings, the dirty work is the fight. Great dreams and great cities don't survive without a fight. Seattle is dying. Maybe with all the wealth and growth we became so pleased with ourselves or so busy that we forgot about the hard part. Maybe good people who go to work every day and raise families and pay taxes, the ones who built the city and dreamed the dream, forgot about the dirty work. Maybe we forgot about the fight.
0: So again, slightly more encouraging, but when I finished watching this, I thought, gosh! There's more to this story, and it's happening. We're, do, we're living it right now. There's joy happening in the cities right now. So, yes, at times we've forgotten about the fight, but I want this to be encouraging in the end because we haven't completely forgotten about the fight. I've invited some friends uh, to come up. We'll have Rich come up first and share uh, just a little bit about their experiences, their experiences of some of our urban plunge men and women that have uh, seen God playing and at work doing great things in the city.
4: Um, So uh, Chris had uh, posted a couple of questions concerning the uh, experience that we had. And uh, one of the first questions is, uh, where did you see God at at play or work in the city? Um, So during this uh, experience, um, seeing all the people uh, that help volunteer, sacrifice their time, money, donations to help out was really heartwarming. As part of the South Everett going down there and helping out serving the guys, building relationships, talking with everybody, that also was something that was very instrumental in this whole you know of viewing where God was working in the in the um, in the city to see a lot of the guys in the program come back help mentor, and all that it it's it just this full circle of of the help that goes on and seeing how god 's working um it will pull on your heartstrings. I, I guarantee it. I mean, you know, when you're when you're out there serving, and you know, um, I know I brought it back um, at least to me that uh, a lot of my problems insignificant and pale to what a lot of the people are experiencing down there. Um, and to make hand out the sandwiches, um, blankets to the to the people that needed was awesome. So if you're uh, if you get that opportunity, I would highly suggest it. <laughs> Um, secondly, uh, what is one way you can apply something you learned and experienced here at South Everett from that experience? And um, it's a real simple thing, um, actually, and it's um, what the what the, a lot of the people do down there—the volunteers, the helpers, um, and and even the people that that are working there—and it's building the relationship. Um, for instance, it's real simple. I mean, you, you say hello to whoever comes in in the door their name, how was your week, um, you know, to some people, yeah, you can say hi, hello, and it's just your, your normal thing in passing, but when you get to know the person's name and, and build that interaction, hence, like you said earlier, building that relationship, it doesn't happen overnight. Um, it, it, it takes time, sacrifice, and all that. So um, those were the, the, the two points um, from what I got out of the experience, so...
0: Awesome. Thanks, Rich. Appreciate it. And, Rich, you were telling me that you've also had a chance to have some conversations with a very skeptical neighbor after watching this, and you had a chance to say, I just was living down there. And and he he made a comment about how impressed he was with uh, your ability to engage some of those challenges. That's awesome, very good. Uh, Colleen is going to come up and tell us a little bit about her experience, and then Marley Huber couldn't be here today, but uh, Colleen's going to read uh, what she wrote on her behalf as well.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um Well, my trip to the mission, it was uh, several adjectives for it, but it was inspiring. It was humbling. it was challenging, it was encouraging and just a blessing. To be able to go, Um, I would strongly encourage you, I echo Rich, to go if you get the opportunity. We stayed at the Hope Place, which is a women's um, mission where they can go and be in program. And it is a beautiful facility in Rainier Valley. Oh, there I am cooking spaghetti. (laughs) Yes. Um, It's a beautiful facility, but it is named so well. Hope place. You walk in, and even in the atmosphere, you feel hope, and there's a level of peace um, as you walk in. And then you just see the hope of Jesus on women's faces. Many of the staff are graduates of the program, and it's just filled with living testimonies of the power of the transformation of Jesus. There's so many stories I could share, but one woman in particular um, just stood out to me and still does. I still, um, so this is a beautiful woman from Ethiopia she and her 10-year-old son were living at hope place and their story was a little bit different it wasn't a story filled with addiction or bad choices her story includes things that wasn't was out of her control and she and her son found themselves living in their car and that wasn't you know wasn't a dream of hers and how to be raising her son so fast forward they found their, themselves at hope place she's been involved everyone has a job that lives there and her job includes working in the kitchen well one of her dreams has been to become a chef and when she is cooking she says it just brings out joy in her and when she can feed people it just fills her soul and so, but she didn't really think that dream would ever happen. There's a gentleman named Norm, and I don't know his official title, but he is the director of all the food services. Saint Norm, right? Yeah. We should get him to come to church sometime and share his story. Oh, my good. Anyway, side story. Um, God placed a vision on his heart to start a culinary school. And, As he watched, I'll I'll call her Victoria, as he watched Victoria, her leadership abilities, her giftings in the kitchen, he reached out to her for Victoria to be his first intern in the culinary program. One side thing is that she has been caring for her aging and ill father. And where he is in the facility he's in, there wasn't space for she and her son to live. So, But she knew she couldn't do both. So I got the chance to pray with her. And then I just said, you know what? You go talk to your dad and Jesus is all over this and you're going to get confirmation from your dad. So she went, she talked to him and lo and behold, her dad's like, this has been a dream of yours. I'll be good. You go. So I'm excited to stay connected with her and just see what God does with her. And for here, whether we greet at the door, serve cookies, um, serve in Sunday school with casino Row kids, on and on and on, we're seeing lives transformed here just like they are in Rainier Valley.
0: Thank you, Colleen. That's awesome. Good stories are happening. My friend Robert Fleming, would you like to come and share with us? Give me a hand for Robert.
3: Thank you guys. I am feeling very nervous right now and i um have um i have um some stories to tell but i think that the um the biggest thing is um that um that i think what rich said what rich said was correct that um that we 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 made some friends on the on the on the on the trip and we um were able to meet some of the people that were going through the program and um the program has has different levels for people to go through for them to be able to complete their uh program and um uh, there was a a gentleman named Jonathan that I had an op- uh, I had got a chance to meet who was telling me that he um, he was abused by his mother, and he was um, that 's what led him to his addiction and he um, and I, th- I had thought that i um, I had made several assumptions about the um People that were going through that program. And, um, when I, um, after staying a week there, my assumptions had changed. And I, um, I think that, um, I think that the, uh, uh, the things that uh, led these people to go into the program were either, uh, personal tragedies or they were abused as children. So, i that's um, that's uh, that's what i th- that's um the other uh thing that uh, that um, uh, going on that trip allowed me to do was get to meet some other people in this congregation and I got to meet um uh, Rich, who told me that he works down at the shipyard, that, that I had no idea that he had worked down in the shipyard. So I think that, um, and I also got to meet uh, David, who uh, works as a um, as a electrical engineer, electrician, electrician yeah. Um, and, uh, um, and I got a chance to meet Eric too. And I, I didn't know that he was the kind, I didn't know that he had a brain injury, that he had to go to the hospital and, and, and the doctors had to look after him. And he had to um spend several weeks recovering from his brain injury and and Eric and I have you know similar um, uh troubles where i i that where my stroke has caused me to have um um Brain injuries.
0: Can we give a hand? Thank you. That, that guy. That guy. Right, Robert? That guy. Right? Right? Thank you for being courageous and going downtown to do something you didn't think that you could do, allowing your perception to be changed of the individuals that we got to spend a week fellowshipping with and living life with and growing in recovery together, uh, and thank you for making some friends here, and thanks for being a part of this. We love you. We love you. Mr. Laverne, did you want to come and share? Okay. you got to put your picture up first, though. We can't do this unless you... I mean, come on. <laughs> there we go.
3: So... This wasn't a very fun experience for me because on Wednesday night, it was very hard. I was being very attacked by the enemy. He wanted me to force me to go home. But I was able to fight through it with my teammates, and I'm glad I stayed because I learned so much with the people who I was with. Um, my, my favorite experience with the uh, search and rescue, I was able to see the glory of God through through the hope of the eyes through the people that I was able to reach. And it was very enjoyable. And I was able to learn more about the people who I was with. I was able to connect more, build more
0: on friendships. Thank you, Zach. Appreciate it. It takes courage to engage a city. I mean, it just absolutely does. Uh, my hope in this is that there's so many and there's so many more stories that that could be shared we got we got commissioned into our urban plunge in pioneer square by a man who was homeless sitting in a doorway that we happened to know from previous experiences and and here's a man filled with the love of god and um it was quite remarkable randy do you, you want to share one thing all right randy randy's a friend of mine we got to know each other through the mission and uh yeah what you got sir
4: So one of the most awesome things is that God blessed me with an opportunity for three years to get into a van, go out into the homeless encampments, um, build relationships. Um, I learned the names of about 500, 600 people who live on the streets in Seattle. And one of the blessed things that we got to do is help those when they said, I'm ready, let God come take me. What you preached about today was the one thing that's always been on my heart, and you know how much I love search and rescue.
0: Mm -hmm. Thank you, sir. Amen. So if you haven't had a chance to watch this full docu- documentary yet, watch it. Um, it's important to see it, and then it's important to carry the narrative forward. There's more going on with the story. Um, God designed cities; He designed us to be in them. We're going to talk more about that in the weeks to come. Uh, but these stories are are here. They're in, they're in our space. Like God loves us, right, Jedediah? I mean, and I love you. Like I pray for you every day, right now. And I'm delighted to see you this morning, and you're a part of us. Amen? Yeah. Hey, Lord Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you that you have a heart for cities. Thank you that although there is a story that says they're on their way out, Lord, you have given us the same power that rose Jesus from the dead. That same power is available to resurrect cities. Lord, because you designed cities as a place where we can be close together. Lord, that there is a city we're moving towards, a new Jerusalem, where there will be no more tears, no more suffering, no more pain. And although we look at you through a veil, although we know that it could be better than it is, although creation groans longing for what could be and will be, Lord, we hold steadfast. We stay committed to you. We stay dependent upon your Holy Spirit. Lord, we, we just refuse to get caught up in, in, in the worry, in the hurry. Lord, and we come before you this morning. We even just set ourselves before you to say, thank you for gathering us today. Give us confidence, Lord. I pray that this week we will each have a story of engagement somewhere in the city that can add to this narrative, that can say, don't give up hope. Keep engaging. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this day and this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
2: You've been listening to a podcast from South Everett Foursquare Church.
3: For more information about us, please visit us online at www.southeverett.org.